I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> going to give the audience what I think they want. They want chasing and car crashes. They want the cops to bend the rules to get the job done. They want the boy to get the girl. They want the good guy to win. They want the bad guy to die. Hopefully in the biggest explosion the budget will allow. But most importantly, Senator, they want to walk into a theater and for 90 minutes forget the fucking mess that you have left of this nation. Go get your bubble gum. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Hello and welcome back to All Out of Bubblegum. And this is a very special episode we are talking about the enigmatic fantastic actor international superstar steven seagal and with me today is brandon hello and stein hello um but stein before we jump right in i will i would like you to talk about what we're doing with steven seagal here well this is uh a long-standing uh passion series of mine i guess is uh something i came up with around 2019 try to try to get off the ground shopped it around to some people no one really wanted to do this uh including you i I pitched this to you three years ago and so this was a major part (laughs) of me also pitching around that we revived this podcast was that if we revive this podcast we can just make this a part of it and it's a career retrospective series of uh, Steven's on Steven Seagal, kind of, uh, kind of nicknamed it uh, "Above and Beyond the Law" back in 2019, and we can still call it that because Steven Seagal still has not made a movie after 2019. And then at the time it was named after his first and last movie, because that's the thing is we're watching his movies in chronological and reverse chronological order one double feature at the time so uh, well if you're familiar with his filmography you'll fi- have already figured out what this uh, this week's double episode is but we can uh, hit it with the Steven Seagal above and beyond the law intro I'm going to take you to the bank Senator Trent to the blood bank I will snatch every motherfucker birthday. What do you mean we want one? I'm gonna fuck you up, ugly. Uh huh. Yeah, now you want some good pussy. It's like a movie trying to fuck a football now, really. I was not born on a fucking turn up truck, man. Do you feel me? You can't stand to be near me. Yeah, well, I come from a different place. My philosophy's from outer space. Can I laugh in your face? Fantastic right. work. <laughs> Thank you. Now you're properly welcome to the uh, Above and Beyond the Law, the Steven Seagal podcast. So where we wanna... are today watching Above and, above the Law and Beyond the Law. It's not just called Above. I forgot that for a second. <laughs> His first and last movie. Last movie as of yet. But it's now been four years, and there's been zero developments on any Steven Seagal projects uh, since at least since COVID it seems and because uh, yep. he used to have two listed in pre-production uh, Tip of Despair I think one is called which used to have Keone Waxman attached to it but he seems to have cut all ties with uh, Steven Seagal at this point 
if you don't know who Keone Waxman is, he was uh, Steven Seagal's go-to DTV era guy. I think he they worked together like 12 times or something. Uh, you'll get to know him throughout this series. And the other movie was Above the Law 2. But both of these movies just seem to be completely stranded now. And I've I've made peace with the fact that we are probably never getting another Steven Seagal film. And we'll just have to be satisfied with seeing him do pro-Russian uh, TV interviews and stuff. And that's the Steven Seagal we're getting from now on. Um, I wanted to ask uh, you guys what your introduction to Seagal was. Okay, my introduction to Steven Seagal, I believe, was either Thanksgiving break or Easter break one year, where my dad wanted to rent Pistol Whipped. Okay, I know that's kind of a weird introduction to Steven Seagal. I knew who he was before then. I recognized him from, like, the video stores, this stern-faced-looking guy on the action movie covers holding a shotgun or whatever. Then, um... I'm guessing guessing Pistol Whipped was not your dad's introduction to Steven Seagal. Oh, no, no. He knew who he was. Seen several of his movies, and, um... He wanted to rent Pistol Whip, and I was kind of, like, skeptical, because I've heard some things about Steven Seagal's um, direct-to-video output, that it's not the best. But And I watched Pistol Whip, and I thought, hey, this is a good movie. This is, I mean, it's not a great film, but it's it's a pretty good direct-to-video action movie. And I was pretty impressed by it, so I decided to learn more about his filmography from there. By the time I first watched Seagal, uh, his reputation was already in tatters. Oh. <laughs> Uh, I think I saw him, I want to say like 2006, 2007. I think that's when I started watching Seagal movies. And I had, like by this point, his his fantastic run in the 90s was over, way over. And he, he was making uh, pretty much uh, what people consider just terrible DTV films. Um, but... Being uh, the the weirdo that I am, I decided I was going to watch them all in chronological order, and I watched Above the Law first, and I was blown away. Honestly, I was like, "What? Okay, everyone's telling me how terrible this guy is. His movies suck. Action's not good. He's a joke." And I'm watching this movie. I'm like, "This movie's like awesome. It's an inc- it's actually pretty incredible for what it is." So, my my start with him was a complete flip from what I'd heard. And I knew nothing about the guy. Um, there was a, a film up here that he made um, right at the start of his absolute downturn called The Patriot. He, he'd filmed it up where I live. And I, you know, I knew people that worked on it and stuff. But, uh, and, and you know, they, they, they actually had a good time making the movie, so, you know, they weren't complaining or anything. But the word around was that the movie wasn't good and that his movies in general weren't good. So when I saw above the law, it just, you know, it just blew me away. Yeah. I guess my introduction to him was about, I would say around 2004, 2005, maybe, but I was not aware of his, his DTV stuff for all. It was just this one TV channel. Uh, they used to do this like marathons was like every Friday a movie with this guy and then they'd done like an Eddie Murphy one and then now it was Steven Seagal and it was like they ran these commercials like every Friday Steven Seagal movies and it's just like a a trailer mashed cut of like uh, all these classic Steven Seagal movies 
and I think it was like eight eight movies, and it's all the Warner ones. So like Above the Law, Hard to Kill, up until including Fire Down Below. It's the ones they show one every Friday, and they just cut together this like incredible trailer of him just like well, fucking dudes up and all the all the highlight stuff. Um, but it was like my mom didn't want us to watch these because they were like all of them were like hard R, hard R rated, and so. Uh, but we will like sneak in, sneak us every Friday. We'd go go to the basement, and uh, on the second TV, we'd be watching the Steven Seagal movies. And I think like Out for Justice was my first one. Just seeing the scene where he shoots that guy's leg off with the shotgun, I was like, hell yeah! I don't know what this guy's deal is, but I'm <laughs> loving it. So. Yeah, you, uh, just you know, Seagal is a very you know, and I'm I kind of brought up at the beginning, uh, kind of joking, calling him this great superstar. But there was a moment when when that was true, and I I, I can see why when you watch him, he he has a charisma, he has something about him, but when I. He, you know, he's just probably the thing he's known for most now is this kind of blurring of the lines between what's true and what's not about his life. He is so weird. Um, he has lived a very interesting life. And you're, you'd think, why exaggerate? Why lie? And maybe he's not. I don't know. But he says the most ridiculous things in here. Like, I cannot believe it's real. You, you just can't. He, anything he says, like, that's crazy. Even if you read his Wikipedia page, it's just a bunch of stuff that's like, is that true? I don't know. Is this, you know, they're, they're just saying all these things. that the It's like people are arguing, the editors of Wikipedia are arguing amongst each other what's true and what's not. Yeah, but he's this has been doing this his whole career, hasn't he? Yeah. Like yeah. he it, he claims that uh, we're gonna get to it, but the CIA backstory of above the law, he says that oh no, that's based on my real life. Ever since like since before that movie came out, he's like, no, no, I I worked with the CIA, sure, totally, <laughs> that's what I did. And uh, he says, yeah, there's this LA LA Times profile of him from February 1988, where he's like, oh no, I I was working security operations for the Shah of Iran during his deposition in 1979, and he's just like. Just, just randomly going off on all this stuff. Where it's like, yeah, I worked with the CIA. I did this. I did that. Everything. He's like, oh yeah, in Asia, yeah, yeah. The the agency will just just find you there. Yeah, it's a what? bit of a Frank Dukes situation with Seagal, where it sounds so crazy that you just can't believe it, um, and it probably isn't true, but I don't know. You know, it's it's he leans heavily on that uh, neither can neither confirm nor deny aspect of the CIA you know but yeah you know the guy did go to Japan and he did he was the only westerner at the time or one of the only westerners at least burning a, a dojo in Japan you know teaching Aikido he does have proficiency in these things he is really good at what he does you watch him, uh, even in that Lawman show, if you remember that, you know, he can shoot the tips off of matches. He can, you know, he's doing things that are 
pretty crazy. They're, they do take skill to do. Yeah, and I feel a lot of because of he's he's been like boastful and and has a lot of ludicrous claims. A lot of people try to discredit his actual martial arts background as well. And it's like, no, 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 this guy really was the real deal. Like you can just see it in the opening montage of Above the Law too. Like just he's just showcasing yeah. it. It's it's just like he he really knew what he was doing. But I guess we should should like go back and like cover start at the start the origins of of Steven Seagal. Well, he okay. So what I know is that he was born in Michigan. His family early on moved to California. Uh, yeah, and and, his, and then, his family is, despite his claims, very Italian American. Mm-hmm. So I think it's on the new he on the, the Scott Atkins YouTube series. He claims that his his mom's Mongolian and. No, his, I think she says she's Mohawk, he's Native she, American tribe, uh, and that yeah, his yeah. father was Russian Mongolian. Yeah, and I think it it takes you about two minutes worth of research to find out that they are just extremely Italian American. I don't know why you would just change that <laughs> uh, detail so late in life. Like, no, 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 I'm not white. I'm um Native Mongolian. <laughs> Come on, what do you? Seagal, yeah, the the classic Mongolian surname Seagal. <laughs> Didn't he also claim that he lived in New Orleans for a while in the Lawman show or something like that? I don't sure know. he did. Okay. He adapted a he adapted a Southern accent uh, late in life. But well, yeah, he, he claims he he watched uh, he witnessed an Aikido showcase at a sports event because yeah. the the kind of sports event it was uh, changes throughout. Uh, it starts at a baseball match, and I think his latest iteration, it's a football match. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he witnesses this uh, Aikido demonstration, or a martial arts demonstration at least, and he just falls in love with it immediately at like age seven. Uh, age five, depending on when you yeah, ask him. Yeah. yeah, these things, his age changes uh, at all these events. He, he, it's hard to say. He either goes to Japan when he's uh, 13, 14, 15, or 17, uh, or, or some people say it was he was 22, even though he uh, he's always said he was a teenager. But it's uh it, you know it's it's just impossible to track. Um, but the one thing that I will say that nobody ever brings up is he is a guy that claimed forever that. Above the Law was really his introduction to Hollywood. And, you know, he says he came to Hollywood in 1985, but we know that he was working on movies in the early 80s. He was working, he, he did the the Aikido and fighting choreography on The Challenge, Scott Glenn and Toshiro Mifune. Yeah, but I believe he did that while he was still living in Japan. I don't know. That movie, that movie's shot in Japan. And then he, he never say never again is eighty three the next year. And that one, I don't know where. Um, yeah, how he gets into that one. That's a bit more, and that's a bit more less explained too. It's harder to. Yeah, but find. The, no, nobody talks about these things, but we know he did it. Famously, uh, we have you know we have we know that he worked on uh, as Steve Seagal on the challenge, and that. He broke Sean Connery's wrist while working on Never Say Never Again. Yeah, 
But so like the challenge makes sense in the way because there are Americans going to Japan and they find like the the American martial arts guy in Japan. They're like, oh yeah, you you come work on our movie because we can we can talk to you. But I think it shows evidence that he, despite what he says now, he was always trying to break into show business. And let's not forget the Merv Griffin showcase that he put on. Yeah, also in the early, is that, wasn't that 83, 84? Yeah, it's around the same time. Yeah, uh, and that one's, uh, that's one of the more endearing ones. Like, Steven Seagal's really funny in that one, actually. Like, he's he's Flipping with the audience. Yeah. And also it's the fact, the fact that he's, he's clearly out of breath the whole time he's talking because he, he's really doing stuff up there. Yeah, I think, I think it's, 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 a, it's a combination of nerves and... Um, and 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 his uh, athletic output, he's he's doing stuff. Yeah. He's also he also brings up um, like kind of awkwardly in there, like he 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 tries to break the ice a little bit when he brings up that he's trying to diet, which yeah. foreshadows uh, his later weight struggles. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, also he yeah he went to Japan at like seventeen, let's say that. After training it first in America with some guy, and then some some Japanese guy who sent him to Japan, and then comes to work there with masters from everywhere. Said he, he says he went to Hong Kong, says he went to Taiwan, just wanted to master all the various um, martial arts. And um, Kido ended up being his uh, sort of uh, the one he ended up with, uh, being the best at. And, and so he want he also tried to like make that his his own version of it basically removing uh, all these soft elements of it and just making it this uh, well his own style is very hard style very punishing style in all his movies is all about just destroying your opponent. Yeah. Well, when you watch him perform in Above the Law, and especially if you watched a lot of movies from the era, action movies in in particular. You will immediately say, "There's nothing else like this. This, this is the only guy doing something like this. This is crazy what he's doing. Like it is just a whole different style. Like I don't even know who to compare it to. You got Van Damme making things at the time. Uh, Chuck Norris. Uh, he, he's he's kind of winding down in the in the '90s. Um, he's gonna go do Walker soon, but." Nobody's doing what Seagal's doing. It is completely unique. Yeah, there's a, a completely unique style to it. And I think we're going to do an episode uh, later on about, like, the sort of the the people that came after Seagal. They're trying to be, like, the next Seagal. The people that they sort yeah. of try to use, be like that. But but no one was Seagal before Seagal. His, his, his style was completely unique. And, uh, well, that's what made him... Uh, I guess that's what they why they wanted to make him uh, a movie star out of it. Like, there's a bit of a rumor there that because he was um, Michael Ovitz, uh, Hollywood super agent, and later became took over Disney for a while. I believe very unsuccessfully. Um, but he was um, mega Hollywood agent at the time, and he trained with Steven Seagal. And there's a, like a rumor that Ovitz made a bet saying that. I, I, I'm so powerful, I can find the least likable guy you'll ever meet, and I'll make him a superstar. And that's that was Steven Seagal. I don't know how true that, that is. I think it, it's more just 
he he did know Seagal and he trained with Seagal and he was like this guy has a unique talent and he's uh white which helps sell that unique talent to an audience yeah uh, I think it's probably a combination of things oh it's definitely played a role Seagal basically allied himself with a lot of the powerful forces in Hollywood uh, early on we know that he'd done bodyguard work for people he uh, including his uh, then wife Kelly LeBrock so oh, he does a thing there uh, Steven Seagal's because I do understand that he he moved back to America from Japan and then met his his wife his first wife who's Japanese in America and then they moved back to America Japan together and that's when he started his dojo I uh, think that's, that's part that's, of the yeah that's part one of, of the, the stories uh, I've heard it I've heard that as well and there's yeah. there's an interesting part there where he has two marriages running on simultaneously I don't know what that's about <laughs> like he has a marriage he, he divorces his Japanese wife in 87 and he he also has an, another marriage running from 84 to 87 who's annulled in 87 and then he marries Kelly Robark in 87 what's going on there Steven Seagal can we if if you have the phone number for Steven Seagal's marriage counselor from 1984 <laughs> to 1987 uh give us a call we'd be interesting to hear from him i get the impression that he went all in on hollywood um and then when hollywood uh sort of turned its back on him he took it very raw and that's really the, what you see of him now and, and when you look back you know that's the result of uh, just a bitter relationship with fame yeah but, and uh he was it was really hyped up at the time like we have this uh, la times uh, profile of him written in february of uh, 1988 two months before above the law is ever out and it's really just like Oh, tall and lean with rough, good looks of a daredevil jet pilot. Steven Seagal is more than just a six-foot-four martial arts wizard. Seagal just selling him this real hype article. Just everyone just building him up before nobody even knows who is, who is this. His fans proclaim that he's a star waiting to be born. So a lot of uh, and that, yeah, a lot of the behind-the-scenes people were uh, the people who were his fans, I guess. His to, name has been. His, run through the mud so much that it's hard to remember how exciting it was at the time. I mean, he he was huge. He came out and everybody just immediately, yeah, this is the new guy on the block. And to be yeah. fair, I think this is probably the most impressive action debut of any action star that I've ever seen. Sure. I mean, it's hard to argue. Everyone else sort of worked their way up doing small parts. I mean, you have Stallone doing part bit parts in Woody Allen movies and stuff that, like, he, he had scenes cut out of Mandingo a year yeah. a year before Rocky. And uh, Arnold doing, like, what, Streets of San Francisco. And he shows up in The Long Goodbye. Just basically any time someone was like, we need a freakishly large man. They just you can find Arnold in the background of stuff being, yeah, well, freakishly large, which is his thing. And yeah, Chuck Norris doing oh, he didn't do that much, but he did a couple of like uh, well, Way of the Dragon being the obvious one, uh, yeah, Slaughter but... in San Francisco being the uh, sort of the, the low rent version of that, where he just placed the uh, 
So going Guaylo bad guy in a couple yeah. of Hong Kong films. Yeah, go watch Breaker Breaker though, and compare it to this. You know, as far as like a starring yeah, yeah. Chuck Norris vehicle. Yeah, it's like, such a know. low rent effort, man. Yeah. Real like hillbilly garbage <laughs> that movie. God. Just think of the guy with the pitchfork going, "I'm gonna stick you." But uh, <laughs> you know, it's. I think the only person I could compare this. Uh, two is Jet Li in Shaolin Temple, which is a oh. pretty impressive beginning. I guess the other one would be Bruce Willis, but I mean he did do a ton of TV stuff before Die Hard. Yeah, but and that maybe... was his his first a couple of small movie parts too. But that was like a, so I guess going from TV to movies is very different from going to. Oh yeah, you did you did uh you you taught Sean Connery some some judo and. At the time, like his wife was more famous than him, like yeah. she was sort of like a semi-known model who did uh, some TV commercial work. So people like knew her better than him. Is she the one who did that? Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's her. Yeah, and and weird science, you know, that she she had a a thing going on. But yeah, um, above the law. That's yeah. Uh, that takes is, us into above is, the law is the uh you know as a debut it's it's perfect it it intros he he explains his his backstory which is sort of mixed in with his real life and they use real pictures of him um, as a child and going to japan and all this and then they show him in his dojo teaching and and it's very impressive and then it goes right into him in i think cambodia or vietnam on the border uh, it's it's right at the border yeah they don't specify it's okay. like that mystery science theater thing asia <laughs> oh, yeah well, that that narrows it down but no it's yeah they they are probably intentionally vague about which part where it's at it's just the border i just know that they say that when during the hacker scene later on in the movie when they're, they're she's scrolling down and they show their like Nelson Fox's assignments, and I think they have him in Laos, Cambodia, in the seventies, and so I, I took that to be where they were at. I would assume so too, actually, because they they do try to like often, if they can, just say Laos or Cambodia and, and avoid saying Vietnam a lot of the time. Yeah, this was directed by Andrew Davis, coming off the Chuck Norris movie Code of Silence, which is also excellent. In fact, stylistically, I would say that's the closest thing to this movie stylistically i would agree but content wise you can really tell the difference between like steven seagal's input versus chuck norris's input which i'd say chuck norris's input is not <laughs> uh code of silence is, is much more just keeps all the like the about police corruption and everything's just within the chicago and he has no interest in like uh, flourishing out on that but steven's got no no no. it's got to be cia it's got to be this it's uh, we've got to tie it to the iran contra stuff and like uh, a lot of political stuff there which interesting steven seagal's very leftist early career politics yeah yeah it's it's funny again it's one of those things just like uh his his reputation when you look at it you know, c- compare this movie to what he is known for now. A very yeah. right-wing authoritarian, bordering well, on fascistic. And now, yeah. and you watch this and you go, well, he's pretty pretty liberal. The, the hero senator of the movie is a Democrat. Yeah. Buddy, buddies with Putin, 
he's got a Russian citizenship now, I think. Yeah. Well, just, uh, he's Russian. He's really... Yeah, he's real buddy-buddy with Putin. Yeah, and in this one, it's it's, it's funny also because it's like Steven Seagal is very leftist politics, but still very uh, <laughs> sort of hard right on the on the how to how to execute the politics in your views basically just like no 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 yeah there's a lot of police brutality yeah just like no 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 the most brutal way to end a guy is always the best way to end a guy and a lot of stuff in this or or in a lot of other Seagal movies too just him like just egging people on to be like come on fight me fight me just knowing that he will absolutely obliterate the guy it's uh quite violent for uh for such a liberal compared to with his liberal views on stuff oh yeah well there's no yeah. self-examination when in terms in terms of its uh politics uh when you look at that that aspect he my favorite moment there is when he corners all the guys and that they, they try to execute him in his car and then oh, yeah. and the guy said one of the guys says, you can't kill us all badass or something. And he shoots that one guy because, nope, I don't get an A for effort, <laughs> which yeah. brings me to another thing. He's really funny in this. Yeah, he, he's he got has, some good one liners in this. He too. he has a surprising amount of personality when especially in comparison with his later DTV efforts. But uh, in, in comparison to what his reputation would suggest which is this kind of like monosyllabic whisper machine that does n- that, ha- that, you know, gives nothing. Uh, he's, he's almost, you know, I would say like he's giving a performance in this movie. Yeah. yeah. He's not. There's, there's one moment that really reminiscent of the sort of mumbling, what are you going on about Seagal from the later periods when he's, he's at the table talking about, you ever notice how, uh, how babies don't smell of nothing. Oh yeah, so innocent. Evil no one touch. <laughs> Just something, something, some complete garbage. <laughs> like, what are you, what are you talking about, man? What are you talking about? Yes, that feels like the that feels like the one line that Seagal <laughs> improvised yeah. or whatever. But this apparently this was a script for intended for um, Clint Eastwood originally, because that was part of the whole Seagal thing a bit with Warner was that uh, basically Clint Eastwood wanted to, well he went on to like make unforgiven and stuff and he was a bit like i'm i'm done with the whole being the the action hero thing so they wanted a new action star on their books and that ended up being seagal that's what they, they went with and this apparently so i do believe that the that steve pressfield and ron chassette who were two of the three credited writers on this movie probably wrote this script originally and warner bought it and then Davis and Seagal did rewrites on that script hmm. to change it. So obviously, you would not just replace Seagal with Eastwood in this one. That would not work. There's clearly been a lot of uh, tailoring to Seagal in this screenplay. Yeah, that kind of surprises me because Above the Law is perhaps the most Seagalian of all of Seagal's movies. Um, it's kind of like... Yeah, it really lays out a bright blueprint, yeah, for the whole whole Seagal early area. Yeah, and... um. You kind of what? brought up Frank Dukes earlier. And this does feel like if, like, Bloodsport, if Frank Dukes played himself. Because it's all about, like, the backstory that Steven Seagal wishes he had. It's sort of his, this is my autobiography kind of movie. Like, I work for the CIA. 
and I uh, I worked in Japan as an uh, Aikido instructor, you know. And then um, it does feel like this is very much tailor made for Segal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Segal does have a credit as a, as a story writer, mm-hmm. but he probably also worked on the screenplay, and it definitely, definitely, this the script was uh, post tailored to to Segal, retrofitted a lot. I would believe. Yeah, I believe it absolutely. I think and, uh, one of the things that uh, that I really like when I watch this is that he showcases all the things that he would eventually kind of become known for in different ways. The only thing, the only thing missing is a ponytail. Mm-hmm. Like he, yeah. he, there's a part one of where the two, one yeah. of the two iconic Seagal movies without a ponytail. Yeah, that people always misremember Under Siege. They think, yeah, oh, he's got a Under ponytail. Like, no, he doesn't. No ponytails. But he uh he he does the thing where he uh, adopts the ethno um like characteristics when he speaks uh, to other people he he talks black to the black guys he talks italian to the italian guys you know just this he just kind of does this thing and he does that in like later on people will go oh why is he doing this i'm like i don't know he's always done that i don't know i don't know what to tell you (laughs) it's just something he he does he puts in a scene where he gets to speak uh, Japanese to uh, to this Japanese lady, and uh, I also love the way he, he he really tries to sound Spanish when he says Spanish like, words. Nicaragua. Like, Nicaragua. Wow. <laughs> so for some reason, he, he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm from everywhere. I speak every language." <laughs> yes. He thinks that. My favorite yeah. thing that I ever heard him do was when he was making machete, and he refused to call it machete. He never did. He was like, "I was like machete." <laughs> He's making machete with Robert Rodriguez. In this one, he is very Italian-American, mm-hmm. uh, which he now claims to be not at all. But in his early stuff, he, he is very much Italian-American. And he has this whole, his character has this whole um, um, dynamic with his family where they're, half of them are cops and half of them are m- mafia. And yeah. his, his background's from Sicily. And then the movie does nothing, nothing with the whole mafia thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, zero they, connections they with put it. his wife in protective mafia custody. That's it. Sharon Stone, by the way, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pre, pre-fame Sharon Stone really getting absolutely nothing to do with yeah. it. Well, maybe not pre-fame, but pre-breakthrough. Yeah, it's totally she is, worthless uh, in this role. Yeah. And she, she just, like, acts her ass off, like, every time, every scene she's got to be in, she just giving it 110 percent for no reason you know like you do not need to do this and she's just crying 80 <laughs> percent of the screen time she's crying and steven seagal just treats her like garbage well, she is going to get that he's a terrible husband in this one yes. uh, maybe that's also an autobiographical note from yeah. steven seagal i need to be a piece of shit <laughs> <husband>. <laughs> yes it's a method actor. <laughs> yeah. I know there was some more mob stuff in the script that got cut out, like Seagal going to visit his mob uncle in prison and stuff, but it also it doesn't add to the story even in the script, so you can really tell why they they cut it out. Yeah. I mean Yeah, yeah. well Seagal wants to do Scorsese. You know, <laughs> he gets to that in Alfred Justice where he made this huge epic and then the studio just cut it down to like this montage, hour and a half montage of violence. <laughs> Yeah, um, but St- Above the Law is a good movie, but the plot is kind of murky and overplotted in parts. You know, there's some 
threads that may not be necessary or it almost feels like a spoiler alert uh, when I discuss like what the plot of the movie is like it's about Steven Seagal trying to prevent a U.S. senator from being assassinated and that feels like I'm going to into spoiler territory when I say that because it doesn't really materialize until like the last third of the movie or so. Well, I think that's uh, that is actually a, a blueprint for later Steven Seagal movies as well. I mean, his 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 movies are always over plotted mm-hmm. and uh, confusing, yeah. I guess. But this one, it just this one with Andrew Davis at the helm. This one's streamlined enough that you don't actually get lost in all the over plotting, really. Because yeah, there's a uh, there's like just levels and levels of conspiracy in this one, about uh, like hidden preachers and. Iran Contra and freedom fighters in Nicaragua and uh, Democratic senators being assassinated and all ties back to Steven Seagal's CIA past and just just so much stuff and it's like no nah, no nah, just 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 ignore it and uh, watch him kick some ass almost. yeah and that well this last time that I watched it I I, re- I actually got really into the plot and I really tried to pay attention to you know the revelations and how it, how it functions. And it does. It, it almost feels like an adaptation of a novel because there's there's so many characters and so many uh, threads, as you put it, just kind of going every which way and coming from underneath every other you know moment. You're just like, what what in the world are they doing? So were they gonna blow him up? And then they decided that the like a, a preacher uh, overheard what they were gonna do, and now they have they can't do it if if the preacher knows you know stuff like that it's just it's so strange at the end of the movie they they think they say multiple times you know we can't kill them if you if this guy knows you know we can't execute the plan if this guy knows we need to know what he knows yeah they need to know if he told someone it's just there's so much it's too much like they why don't just kill him and then see what happens (laughs) yeah It seems to be a binder plan so far, and it's been working for them. Um, but yeah, then you even coming back also to Code of Silence, but also to the Cambodian borders. You have Henry Silva, who's always a great a great guy to cast as a bad guy because you need to look at him for like one point five seconds to be like, yeah, and this guy's evil. <laughs> yeah, he has a face look for evil, and he is also the he's also the bad guy in Code of Silence. Yep. Um, well, yeah, basically at the Cambodian border, Steven Seagal gets, uh, disagrees with the torturous methods of the CIA. And he's basically, I guess, thrown out of the CIA at that point for being not cool with terror. Yeah. Or torture. Torture. Um, enhanced Henry Silva interrogation loves methods. torturing. Yes. Henry Silva thinks he's above the law. I guess it's the... So then yeah. we fast forward to the, the christening of Steven Seagal's firstborn child, I guess is the thing. Yep. Where we meet his his family, his cop family, his mafia family, and his partner, who unlike in Code of Silence, is not a robot, but is instead played <laughs> uh, by action heroine and exploitation icon Pam Greer, who we love. Love to see Pam Greer get some stuff. She is radiant in this movie. I love her in this. In she fact, is I, great only, in this, yeah. The only thing, the, probably my only issue with this movie, actually, is that there's not enough Pam Greer. She seals the show from Seagal yep. at times. Yeah. yeah. That's, they, they do that. You know, Andrew Davis does his thing, and he lets these actors that 
um, can just shine. Even, even he, he brings back some of his non-actor, like probably. Yeah, a real. lot of the, the cops, a lot of like retired cops. Uh, mm -hmm. Joseph F. Casal, I think, is the the big guy. He's a, he's a retired cop who appears in a lot of Andrew Davis's movies. Uh, missing Dennis Farina, but yeah, I'll take what I can get. Um, but yeah, uh, he lets Pam Greer just do her thing. Uh, I love her little moment where the the hoodlum is trying to hit on her in the car. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I was like, lady cops need boyfriends too. Yep. <laughs> it's like you got five seconds and you just wasted three. You know, <laughs> just I love, I love the the chit chat in this movie. Um, another thing I like with with in terms of Seagal in his performance, he's he gives the character ticks, which might actually be Seagal's real ticks. I don't know. But he very often does this thing where he's kind of just blowing air through his lips. And I don't think I've seen him do that in any other movie, but he does a lot in this. He, his performance. It, it yeah. reminded me very much of his, uh, when he was on Merv Griffin and he was like out of breath. And that's what it reminded me of. I was like, this might be something that Seagal just did for a long time until somebody said, hey, you should not do that anymore. Well, then at the Christian end, Steven Seagal's grandmother is worried about his cousin. She hasn't turned up. So Steven yep. Seagal goes to a bar. To uh, well introduce another classic Seagal staple, the bar fight. Where he goes to the bar to find her. And this is the part where also you see he makes Pam Greer wait in the car, which is like that's the that's the, what we want. Let Pam Greer come into the bar and kick some ass too. Come on, Stephen, don't <laughs> hog all the ass. Hog all the ass. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, and then because we get yeah we get to the bar and we get the first of many iconic Steven Seagal bar fights. And there's some interesting stuff in this. You get Michael Rooker in a small mm -hmm. part. I believe, because I believe this one was made between, because Michael Rooker did um, Henry, Porter of a Serial Killer, right? And then, but then that movie didn't really get distribution for years. But the tapes were going around Hollywood and he kept getting cast of people who had seen Henry despite it not actually being released. I think maybe this is one of those that he landed in that like middle period. Makes he sense. Was, like people knew him inside the industry, but people didn't know him outside of the industry. That makes sense. Uh, the other thing to note here is the wh who in the credits is labeled the CIA bartender. Yeah, that's a funny character. What the hell is this guy? <laughs> but he's great. Well, <laughs> so for years, uh, I also questioned why this character would show back up in the movie because he seems to be running a seedy little bar in you know the south side of chicago but i on this last rewatch i think i realized that what's going on is that he is the cia's local distributor of cocaine i guess that makes sense yeah because you remember they, they go up to the room seagull's like you know kicks open the door there's cocaine everywhere and then like guy who followed them up there goes i don't know where they got all this stuff and uh, i was like oh, okay i think i see what's going on and that's why he shows up later because cia are like okay now we need you to do your part and uh, basically tell the truth that cia or that seagal came in here into your place and just busted the place up beat everybody up tortured a guy and on and on and on yeah, because he just keeps keeps showing up again later with henry silva and his guys and he's mm -hmm. he's played by ronnie Barron, who's like a musician yeah. He also came back. He was also in Code of Silence, but he's a real peculiar-looking guy. 
real short guy, really stands out. He gets Steven Seagal, fucks up the bar, a lot of great ass kicking stuff in that scene, uh, where he's on his knees fighting people with a pool cue. No, that's in uh, Alpha Justice. Oh, the pool cue is not in this one. No. Okay, geez, I, I watched this yesterday, and I'm already blending all the Steven Seagal <laughs> movies together. Uh, yeah, and then he heads upstairs and finds his cousin, beats up the, her her drug drug guy, pimp slash boyfriend, whatever, and again, just really just brutalizes the guy, just smashing his face into everything. Yeah. Uh, and then he it basically just makes Seagal stop beating him up. He rats him out on a on a deal. He's like, ah, oh, this coke lawyer. I heard from this coke lawyer that where there's gonna be a shipment. Yeah. So he works at a restaurant where the the the, the boyfriend character works at a restaurant where the CIA guys meet with the mob guys to do deals, and and so he overheard this shipment coming in, and that kind of sets things in motion. Seagal and Pam Greer go on a sting operation. The sting operation is also being uh, overseen by uh, FBI or CIA. The and, man. Yeah, they they see the uh, the feds. That's what the cops keep calling them. Who end up blowing the the whole thing and resulting in an action sequence where Seagal gets to do the classic hang on top of a car. Yeah. It's a great scene. He jumps on that car. Yeah, all the action scenes in this movie are pretty excellent, especially the one where he's on top of the car. Yeah, yeah. that's that. That's the Andrew Davis staple. He's just like he's a really solid, solid director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that uh, Action Jackson did it better, right on top of the car. But for Seagal and his first movie, top notch, top notch work. Uh, it's really funny. The guy. Seagal just punches through the window and and basically chokes the guy until he makes the driver pull over. <laughs> it's fantastic. And uh, yeah, then it uh, turns out that the shipment was not cocaine. It was uh, Steven Seagal says uh, C4, my man. <laughs> I know the smell. <laughs> Steven Seagal, yeah, he just and then he's like, oh, it's C4, my man. I know this stuff. Well, the guy says, uh, "What kind of high is this?" And he goes, "Sky high." <laughs> And this is also the part where, where the preacher sort of stops Steven Seagal, brings him into the church basement to meet the South South Central American preachers that are hiding out there, which is also part of the plot. But that just just happens to happen during this scene for some reason. The yeah. preacher's like, "Hey, Steven, you gotta well, not Steven, but <laughs> you, know, you gotta come, come, come and look at these preachers in my basement." Well, the easy way to remember is that uh, for a lot of places, this movie came out as Nico. Yeah, my copy, I think, is called Nico. Now it's called Nico Above the Law, but my original copy is called Nico. So everyone's always calling him Nico. I think one person calls him Neek at one point, which is really funny <laughs> to me. But that scene where the priest shows him the Guatemalans is just kind of awkward. <laughs> He's like, check yeah. it out. I've got a bunch of people that aren't <laughs> supposed to be here. Uh, also, well, there was I mean, a break it does in turn the... out to... Yeah. <laughs> turns out to be important to the plot but at the time it's just like what's what's going on here why are we why are we in this basement now why are you showing me this <laughs> no reason anyways so hopefully that doesn't come back up in your life you know <laughs> yeah but then the preacher commits to Seagal to go to church next Sunday and uh, when he's at church uh oh 
C4 turns up again. There's a bomb uh, during the sermon. And, I know uh, what it yeah. smells like. I know what it blows like. <laughs> That's what he says. Yeah, and uh, he kills the he kills the preacher, uh, the normal preacher of the church, but not the uh, Guatemalan preacher who is the target. They killed the wrong priest. Yeah, uh, yeah. And this it's the sets... CIA again. Yep, they're just they were trying to kill the Guatemalan who I guess got he he overheard during a confession or something. Um, so Henry Silva and his gang of killers are trying to kill this guy or at least find out what he knows. And Seagal is trying to stop them. Uh, yeah, because this is the point where it gets really muddled when it's just like, oh, Seagal's old CIA buddy calling him, and Seagal meets the Japanese hacker woman who looks up the old. CIA squad and what they're doing and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. For that reason, I wasn't a huge fan of this movie the first time I saw it, but it really clicked with me, like, upon rewatching it that, okay, this is what it's about. This Just enjoy the action and some more of the plot elements made a bit more sense the second time I watched it. Yeah. I I was fuzzy on the plot before, mm-hmm. but on rewatch, I'm like, okay, I understand it now. I, I get what's going on. And there's even things that you know, if you read uh, uh, Vern's book, Sigology, he brings up Seagal has uh, less of a hairline in this than he does in the rest of his movies. Yeah, yeah. And he I made a note of it. Yeah. And when I was watching it this time, I realized, oh, that's probably on purpose. They're making him look older in the same way that they give uh, Henry Silva silver hair. Mm-hmm. I think because you watch at the beginning of the movie, he doesn't have that hairline. But when immediately when they go to the church, and then later on there's a scene when uh, when he gives the the clean baby speech, uh, his hairline is restored in that scene. So you know, a little continuity mm. issue. I don't know. I think he looks like uh, like uh, mid eighties Joe Biden. <laughs> really, we can clearly see that there's there's only hair in the front, and it's all hiding, hiding all well, the balls. I, I definitely think that it's that's a uh, you know. He's got a receding hairline for sure. But I think yeah. what we're saying is really the result of them trying to make him look older. Uh, maybe. I mean, it, it works because it looks, it, it does look bad in this one, to be honest. Yeah. But, I mean, he, he really, he figured it out later and he's, he's gotten his uh, padded triangle <laughs> trademark look down. Eddie Munster so, look. Yeah, a little inky Dracula <laughs> thing going on. Whatever the hell that is. I, I think his, his hair is legally qualifies as doing blackface <laughs> how much that is made up it's so i don't know i don't know what that that stuff on his head is made of anymore that is that's uh even even nick cage is like i don't know what this hairline is yeah yeah uh, that's probably who i'd compare his hairline to it's probably what he naturally looks like but we'll never know we don't even no. know what his face looks like anymore yeah, now it's all just uh, donut goatee, and well, we'll we'll get into that in a, just a few minutes when we we switch over the movies, I guess. But yeah, but uh, yeah, watching him in this movie, you you see him get beat up probably more than you would in his later movies. And uh, when yeah, I, I think was... this is this is one of two movies I can remember clearly where Seagal clearly gets hit in a fight and takes uh, visible damage of it. It's this and the other one later we're going to get to is Glimmer Man, where Steven Seagal both times gets hit in the face and he starts uh, bleeding from the nose. Doesn't he get slashed yeah. with a knife or something like that and under siege at the end? Or 
Is that too minor? Or, I don't, know. I don't remember. It's pretty minor. It's this, this is the clearly like on on screen in the in the money maker violence yeah. part. But yeah, he he's feel, he feels like in real danger in the in the climax here. Mm-hmm. And um, part of it is that they that Henry Silva actually hit him. Yeah. Apparently he broke his nose on yep. the set of this, and then they say he just stayed up all night icing it down so they could work the next day. Yep, go back. Make to sure there it. wasn't any swallow, swallowing, not swallowing, swelling. Is the word? Yeah. So I guess then a lot of uh, a, b- a bunch of complicated back and forths. We end up with Seagal uh, tied down in a kitchen with uh, Henry Silva and his torture crew, and they're trying to drug Seagal and. Make him with Seagal is he's too strong. Yeah. He just resists the power of the drugs. Well, I think it it the it, it does what uh, the drug does. You know, it it makes them tell the truth, and Seagal's truth is that he wants to kill all of them. So it well, it comes can't right argue out. with that. <laughs> yeah, and I timed it, and it's like from the it's like Seagal. I think it's. Um, I forget the line now, but one of them is like uh, something. We sh- I think Henry Silva is like, I, I, I bet you want to kill us or something like that. And from there on, it's just 24 seconds and the whole climax is over. From Steven Seagal just ripping himself loose, kicking the crotch and just killing everyone and just performing this insane overkill on Henry Silva. It just like breaks his arm and then breaks his neck. Yeah, it's, and the whole uh, thing takes like 25 seconds. That's fa- the whole climax. Fantastic little ending there. Uh, my favorite moment right there is when they, he just kind of looks, and there's a shot where it's just all the bodies, and uh, I don't know why <laughs> I just get kicked out of that little aftermath shot. Uh, this scene appears memorably in Step Brothers, mm-hmm. Will Ferrell, and yeah, they're watching it. Mm-hmm. That was a great scene. Yep, uh, I was very Should excited watching, watching that. I saw it in theaters and. Very excited to see Seagal on the big screen. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of Iran Contra stuff in this too. We get there's a clips of a Senate hearing about the Iran Contra Contra thing. Uh, people not in the know, the Iran Contra thing was basically they said Reagan sold my, um, weapons to Iran and used that money to fund freedom fighters in heavy quotation marks uh, in like Central America to help him overthrow governments that he found too leftist particularly yep. the one in nicaragua yeah they uh selling you mean nicaragua oh, sorry <laughs> it reminds me of john connor in terminator 2 uh, it reminds me of uh, edward james almas and stain and deliver when they do the i have to reach these keys <laughs> <laughs> but it is uh it, I, you know it's so strange you know i i can't get over how Strange it is that this movie is so left-leaning, so anti-government. This is during the Reagan era. Or actually, this is probably George H.W. I think it was 1988, so that'd be when George H.W. Bush was elected, but before he was sworn in. Yeah, Yeah, it came out April 1988. So I guess that would have been, they would have been doing primaries for Bush. Bush versus... Dukakis. I don't know. I, Dukakis? Okay. So that would have been during that time. Uh, very interesting to see him. You know, he, he's responsible for the story. He he knows what he's doing. He basically chose the script, apparently. They they gave him 
the pick of the litter, and he was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it very left-leaning. Uh, he's, you know, it's critical the, in the opening of uh, Nixon showing him uh, we're a nation of laws, you know, this. Yeah, Nixon literally dropping the title. Yeah. I mean, it's it's particular. Uh, very strange yeah. uh, to watch this movie knowing where Seagal would head later on in his life. Yeah, I don't know where. I think, like, the leftist streak, you can trace it, I think I would say, to, like, 97, 98, and then... Yeah, fire down it below and fire down below, and your favorite, the Patriot. Yeah, Patriot. He's, he's attacking. He's fighting uh, Montana militiamen. Um, carry a bit of it, and then afterwards, for a while, it just it just becomes a bunch of wag ass shit. Yeah, where he doesn't know what he's doing, <laughs> and then not not really sure when he he starts being. Uh, I guess it's the um, driven to kill is the one where he starts. Uh, pretending to have um, Eastern European uh, connections and uh, that, like, he's no longer... He goes from very Italian-American to very just normal American. He, st- he st- starts dropping all his, his... I don't know. And then he starts thinking he's from here and there and he's doing a bunch of accents. And it's yeah. a mess. But in one movie where he did still have... Uh, Italian-American heritage, his final movie, Beyond the Law. Ooh. Yeah, so... Which, uh, from 2019, which still Seagal's last movie, where he plays uh, Italian-American... Is it New Orleans, this movie's set in? And I don't know oh, if it was ever said. I, I have no yeah, idea. I don't know if they ever said. They just call it The City or something like that, but I, I don't know. Yeah, it keeps they keep saying that the city, my city, that city. Where he plays yeah, local mob boss Augustino Adair, who is so well, he's not the star of this movie for sure, even though he is top build. No, he's barely in the thing. <laughs> um, but that said, I think he does have some noteworthy moments. Well, be- he sits down a lot. That's for sure. Yeah, he stands up twice in this movie. It's it's more notable when he stands up. Yeah, he's always sitting around and smoking a cigar, too. Uh, I will say yeah. he's clearer when he talks in this movie than any of the than a lot of the things that I'd seen him do. Yeah, I understand that he did actually show up on this and, and do it in a way because mm. especially because it called for him to not have to do any action scenes or have doubles or whatever. We could just mm do all his scenes and sit and talk yeah and he's not um, dubbed no he is not dubbed in this one that's clear and uh, maybe that's because they clearly shot him on a set and got good good set audio Uh, I don't know how he if he's mellowed up on uh, looping his lines because that's of course an infamous thing from his early DTV areas where he refused to do any ADR recording any line looping and he's just always dubbed by the weirdest sound-alikes. <laughs> it's like a black woman. And saying sound-alikes is a it's very generous term because they do not sound anything like him. Uh, he- yeah, this one directed by James Cullen Bressack, who is a guy who made like he's made like twenty movies before this almost, but you'd never heard of any of them. Just weird, low-budget stuff. But he used this movie. 
to uh, get himself into the Bruce Willis uh, sadness factory. <laughs> and so he's, he's been doing a lot of some of these oh, geezer teaser DTV films, starting with this one, then Surviving the Game with Bruce Willis and Fortress with Bruce Willis, Hot Seat with uh, Mel Gibson and Kevin Dillon, and he's got an upcoming one with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme called Darkness of Man, which uh, I've seen no footage from yet. It's supposed to come out this year, but uh, it better hurry up then. But yeah, it's got that one's supposed to have Jean-Claude Van Damme and uh, Cynthia Rothrock in it, among others. Uh, so, oh, that's interesting. Apparently, that's his, this guy's made that his bread and butter now, sort of the old, the geezer teaser. Well, I will say that Seagal um, does some acting in this movie, which surprised me, or at least he responds. I don't think he was ever an actor. I think that his performances are, are just naturalistic. He he doesn't delve into what the character is. He just, uh, he, you know, it's an extension of him every time. So yeah, it's kind of cute seeing him pretend to like be a gangster still and like put yeah. effort into it. But he does, um, he you know he gives facial expressions and uh, when he smiled when he's when he's talking to I think Zach Ward. Uh, who plays his son? He, he he smiles and there's a twinkle in his eye and it, it actually freaked me out. I'm like, holy shit, he's actually doing something in this scene. And I have to say, because this movie, this is my second time watching this movie. Actually, got to revisit the classics. <laughs> um, and this one, it looks better than your average like geezer teaser. Yeah, I gotta give it, gotta give it that. Yeah, I mean even because even the the cigar. I watched the Bruce Willis one. Uh, the game of survival i i forgot it in the last five minutes and saying it um this the, the bruce willis movie he did it did have some decent action but it also definitely it's called survive the game uh had some had some decent action they really did uh do something there but um you can't just can't get around the whole bruce willis is not uh, can't do anything stuff it's uh like really sad all those movies really they should not have been made. People who made them should uh, go to go to jail for elder abuse, including you, James Columbrasic. <laughs> uh, it's sad. It, Let's talk about something. <laughs> yeah, change the subject. <laughs> it is a bummer, man. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but you know, I think a lot of this movie is a bummer. Uh, Beyond the Law is, uh, it you know, it's it, it's not actually a bad idea for a movie. You know the. It's about two fathers who failed their kids, and their kids end up on, um, you know, in horrible places. One dead, and the other one just. Uh, well, the it, other one dead man walking. Yeah, because because yeah. he killed the. Well, I don't forget it. He was responsible for the death of the. We guess we should say that the real star of this movie is Johnny Messner. He's the he's the actual star of this movie, the lead, yeah. uh, who you might know from Tears of the Sun, I guess. That's Running the only scared. thing I know him from. Uh, he, he plays part of Paul Walker's crew in Running Scared, I think. He, well, he's got a long ass list of DTV credits going all the way back to very interesting uh, voice. 
Yeah, all the way back to the late 90s. He was in Operation Delta Force 4 for Millennium. Yeah, well, I and think he did, just yeah. was a fit dude that they would put in military roles forever. Yeah, and that's that's his, what he does. And this is this is one where he he plays the lead. We're gonna get back to him in a one called. He's in a, another Seagal film called The Perfect Weapon later on, but he's in this one. Yeah, and he is uh, well, like Steven Seagal, you can say he's let himself go a bit. He is. Uh, he too is a bit of a bloated man compared to what he used to look like in his heyday. Kept the calories, stopped the workouts. <laughs> but he he actually I think he handles himself well. He's he's serviceable in this for sure. I he's, actually uh, was pretty engaged for I think the first forty minutes of this movie. Unfortunately there was still another forty minutes after that. Yeah, same actually. I because I remembered not liking this one that I rated quite low, and then for the first forty minutes, I was like, "Oh wait, was I just like in a bad mood when I watched this?" Because I don't know, I'm seeing stuff here. I'm enjoying it. Then like, okay, okay, yeah, okay, the back end of this—that's where it it really falls apart. Because yeah, it's about this this young kid gets killed in um, well, because he's he's involved in some drug deal, and then the money he's supposed to give to Sack Ward. When Sack Ward comes to collect, the money's not there. And he ends up uh, getting killed. And then the news comes back to Johnny Messner, who, who now lives out in a in the f- in the forest or whatever, in a cabin with Bill Cobbs, who for some reason is in <laughs> yeah. Bill Cobbs. What, what, what Demolition are you doing man. in this Bill Cobbs? Yeah, it's... DMX plays the cop. Yeah. Yeah, DMX. Uh, rip DMX, I guess. Fi- final this, film uh, role of DMX. Uh, no, actually not. Oh, really? DMX managed to squeeze out another one. Uh, he, he's been at more working more actively despite being dead than Seagal has <laughs> managed to. Uh, no, he did. He managed to get out a couple of more, yeah. Fast Vengeance is, uh, was his last one. Another one that's probably similar to this. He's barely in it. and uh, But yeah, he's he gone. It's uh, This is, um, I guess it's a reunion for Exit Wounds, sort of. Even though, do Steven Seagal and DMX even share a scene in this one? I don't think so. No. So it's not really a proper reunion? No, not really. But yeah, DMX, he's a dirty cop uh, who used to... Uh, Johnny Messner's an ex-cop, now living in the... An ex-dirty uh, like cop. Out in the, every cop's a dirty cop in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then he, uh, he tracks back, goes back into town to, to get revenge for his son find out who killed him and it turns out well it's steven seagal's son so then you have it's a bit of a thing going on there this movie is strange as it uh you know the first shot of the movie was a, it's a dutch angle and i i kind of rolled my eyes on, i don't know you know another filmmaker thinking he's making a film you know with seagal it's like uh and then early on i went okay there is like something to this they do have a vision they are trying to make a movie and make it something interesting with it uh and, and i think that at a certain point it just stops there's i remember there was a scene like like 20 minutes in or something where it's like a flat it's a flashback with johnny Misner and his son and it's clearly shot on a soundstage and they have their their little argument um and it's a flashback scene 
and then the son walked away and I could hear him walking across the soundstage. It's like, you guys could have turned off the mic there. You know, yeah. they're supposed to be outside in the you know, field, I think. You could just hear him clunk, 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 walking away. <laughs> but, um, but despite that, I, I could tell that they were they're doing things in the movie. They're, they're trying to make uh, a film, to, you know, whether we, it's, it's a low budget number for sure, but you know, it's not without a vision. Um, but that vision just disappears by the end. That's fair to say. I think it does some, and it does some decent stuff at the start. There's an alley fight. Yeah. Johnny Messner goes in an alley and meets some, uh, some old, old drug, drug dealer. He used to hassle when he was a cop. And there's a pretty good alley fight there. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's well done. It looks cool. Uh, there's a shootout the, by uh, B- Johnny Messner's cabin later. That's also pretty well done with a lot yeah. of uh, practical squib work. So yeah, it reminds me a little bit of a like death hunt. But yeah, yeah it's like okay, you 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 knew how to put in the effort. It's just that you only did so half of the time. Yeah, I think where the movie kind of doesn't work is that it it. it forgets that it wanted to be a mystery in the beginning of the movie. Like, oh, where's where did the money go? So when the yeah, revelation yeah. comes that, no, nah, his girlfriend just took the money. Yeah, there's just a scene where he's like, oh, you took the money, didn't you? And it's like, yeah, okay. Well, geez, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for just saying that out loud for us. Yeah, that should have been a revelation, but it, they just forgot. And then, of course, Seagal just refuses to lose. And so the last thing he ever put on film is him uh, in basically incriminating himself. And now he's going to go to jail forever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's not that much plot to go through here. I guess it's just Johnny Messner goes around and kills a couple of guys. And there's a lot of scenes of Steven Seagal trying to like navigate business deals. Yeah. Because his, uh, I guess, uh, Sack Ward's done some bad uh, well they they fucked up that that deal they got the kid killed and so now he's he's trying to connect with a different family and i love that he goes to this meeting with this other criminal family like, oh yeah i hear you guys have the best supplies and then he just calls the the lady like babe right at the first meeting he's like oh yeah way to make a great impression there uh, <laughs> yeah that scene probably could have been cut but <laughs> and seagal just loves saying motherfucking in all his later movies, like, oh, I feel like I'm talking to a motherfucking, would you think that's a motherfucking good thing? What's this motherfucking, it's just all this time. All the time he can interject motherfucking into a sentence, uh, he does. Yep, he just, uh, that's his thing. He's like, I'm in a rated R movie for sure. But, I don't know. And all of his lines, most of his lines in this just feels improvised almost. Yeah. Like, he he read the script like, four days ago when he's like trying to remember the the dialogue roughly <laughs> but he does uh, i will say he doesn't uh ramble he does stay on track when he's talking so i'll give him credit for that but he is just sitting he, there smoking a cigar but he's not doing much he gets to shoot and he probably actually was shooting oh i don't think so that that shooting scene is awful looking that's the worst action scene in the movie. It's, not, it's not even action Reeks scene. of CGI. Yeah, it's really it's just the guy just walking up to a table and shooting three guys. No, like, no, I mean... Oh, um, you guys think you're smart? I mean when he's shooting the target. Oh, the target practice scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes more sense. Because I was like, 
did you really think they were shooting <laughs> at the, the bar scene at the end? Because no. that's that's some of the worst shit I've ever seen. <laughs> You're more gullible than I thought. No. no, he's just standing there. He's got a target, I think, like 15 yeah. feet in front of him, and he's just he's just shooting over and over and over in a, a bullseye. Yeah. And yeah. one of the better moments in the film, actually. It's one of the, like, oh, this is the last time Steven Seagal made an effort. Yep. And, I think and they caught it on off. film. Yeah. <laughs> it does remind me of, like, that scene of Steven Seagal Lawman where he's shooting the matches. And yeah. Trying to light them on fire. Which uh, he does not ever, I, I, I don't think he ever does. I think he misses every opportunity to light the match, even though that's what he says he's trying to do. But the fact that yeah. he's hitting the match heads... Is very impressive, mm-hmm. but yeah, uh, it's not a it's not a great movie. Uh, it's not terrible. It, it will provide you nothing if you're trying to watch a Seagal movie. But if you're just into watching uh, DTV movies, uh, I've seen much worse. Yeah, I think this is for me. It's fifty percent a very serviceable DTV thriller, and then fifty percent a, a bad DTV thriller. But um, I definitely think we're going to be f- going to much further depths oh, yeah. of continuing this series, uh, yeah. finding like just absolute garbage within <laughs> the Seagal filmography. I, I um, thought it was pretty bad, but I generally prefer stuff that makes me laugh, like Attack Force, which is, of course, a terrible movie on every level, but it, may, it entertains me with its awfulness. But Okay. You want um, worse movies. This was too good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Beyond the Law is too good for me. I just, I what, just can't it, handle no, all well, that. Too, too partially competent, I think, is the more accurate, uh, the more fair description. Yeah, it doesn't go far enough in some directions. No. Because that's what it is. It is just, it's par- too partially competent to be extremely awful. Well, so this yeah. is a post-John Wick film, and they're bringing in a lot of the neon colors and stuff. They're, they're kind of trying to do that look. But Johnny Mesner does not engage in John Wick, like, fights and gunfights and things. So it kind of becomes just, uh, you know, by the numbers, and, you know, what are we doing here? He's, I mean, Johnny Mesner also has no charisma whatsoever. No, he's got an interesting voice, like I said. He, whatever in the world's going on with that guy's voice... Um, very strange, but... Uh, he gives me a bit of Tom Sizemore vibes, like Tom Sizemore 15 years before this, I guess. Oh, yeah, sure. But almost every gangster character uh, is more interesting. Like, they all have... They're they're kind of colorful in their own ways, but the... You know, our lead really gives us nothing. He just has his baseball cap on and, and a hoodie, and he just sulks, and... You're like, what? What are we doing here? There's just oh yeah, we also get like classic uh, action action movie small guy or like B movie action star, uh, well not star but B movie action guy Patrick Kilpatrick, just playing like a bouncer at uh, Steven Seagal's club in this one. Yeah, who, well, he needs I mean, work you too. Might know from, yeah, he's in. Well, now he probably star probably of the cellar. Everything. Well, he was a best member probably for playing the bad guy in Death Warrant, the Van Damme movie, mm-hmm. where he the plays Sandman. the Sandman. Yeah. Yep. But he, he plays, appears in a lot of stuff. I think uh, uh, I think he was in Under Siege too, actually, with Seagal. 
Oh, so I think he placed one of the henchmen on the train. So this movie is yeah. sort of like a Seagull reunion-a-thon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think they appeared in any other any scenes in this one either, but uh, yeah. And uh, I don't know. I remember him. It was a great end. Um, Billy Blank's movie Showdown, like it's, which is like a Karate, Karate Kid. Kid. Yeah. yeah, knockoff, but it's like it goes way, way harder than Karate Kid. <laughs> I think like, and then... Patrick Kilpatrick is one of the bad guys in that one where he plays like a, I think he's like a neo-Nazi and Billy Blanks killed his brother or something during a raid. That's like, that's how much darker that one is than Karate Kid. Well, you know, I love like ripoffs. I love that like subgenre yeah. of movie and I love Karate Kid ripoffs. They're like, uh, they're, they're like heroin to me. I love it. <laughs> and that's one of them. Yeah. <laughs> But I thought it was real fun to see Patrick Kilpatrick show up in this one, just pop up like, yeah, this guy's been doing this for 20, 25 years maybe now. Well, it's, it's very no, weird. 30, 30, Jesus, 30 years. 1990 is 30 years ago. Just, you know, you see him and you kind of expect him to come back, but he's just like in that bit part. And I think he has, has two scenes, but he's got a real memorable face. Yeah. And I thought it's real fun to see him show up in this, yeah. Well, uh yeah, Seagal's goatee era, which is his final era at this point. Um, to, you know, we, yeah. we could do worse. Just black donut around his mouth. You know, <laughs> at all times. Yeah, but I, I don't have a, a, a lot to say about his his final performance, honestly. It's just kind of, you know, it doesn't break my heart or anything, but it, it's just kind of typical. feels like typical Seagal at the end where he's just, I mean, he, he is trying more than I see him trying a lot of his DTV efforts, but he's, you know, what, what are you going to say about it? He, he just does the thing where he refuses to lose, and then the movie It's the thing, I guess, at the end, because uh, <laughs> Johnny Messner gets, I guess he gets shot by, not Sack Ward, but like Sack Ward's uh, henchman, I guess is the thing. I don't even remember who shoots him in the end. I can't either. It, 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 well, the, yeah, he gets he ends up getting shot in the final shootout between him and Sack Ward and some third guy, um, and then yeah, he goes goes to meet meet Seagal to basically be like, yeah, I killed your son, and then Steven Seagal just fucks him up, but it turns out oh no, Johnny Messner had called nine one one and he heard Steven Seagal, the he got a recording of Steven Seagal committing no not committing admitting to crimes, yep. and I guess also a. a beating up a dying man if that's a crime and shooting him um, oh yeah he does shoot him one time so he yeah. does basically yeah that Steven Seagal plays the bad guy but he brutalizes and kills the hero because he's Steven Seagal he can't lose it's, a, it's like a dark mean movie yeah. oh it really is this very very bleak very little hope in this movie no it's the opposite of above the law honestly sad in every way on screen off screen <laughs> Above the law, you know, is really about, you know, you could, we, you know, we can beat these corrupt assholes if enough people do the right thing. Yeah. And in this one, it's just like, oh no, everyone's corrupted, and then you die. Yep. It's it literally then, that's the whole point. Like our main character was a dirty cop his whole life. Skull says he was the dirtiest cop. You know, they, they apparently knew each other, or he read the script. I don't know. But they just kind of go into that. Everybody's irredeemable. 
Um, and so everybody dies. Like, every character dies. Nobody gets away scot-free, really, in this. It, even that lady that uh, yeah. shoots the, the girlfriend at the end. I mean, she's screwed. She was just doing a... You know, she was a, had connections to Seagal. She's going to be screwed, too, now. You know, it's just everybody. Everybody. And that ending is so tacked on and terrible. Well, literally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, all the whole all the girlfriend plot parts because of how poorly it's set up and introduced and included and everything, you just you don't care about it, and mm-hmm. it feels so so terrible. You're like, okay, well, this concluded the story, and it's like, oh no, there's a girlfriend with the money in a hotel room, and you get this on her phone. She gets like a message, which is like, oh, Augustine Adair commit uh, uh, questioning murder above of. Uh, Detective months and whatever uh, Johnny Messner's call in this, and it's just it it it's one of the worst looking effects I've ever seen. It's like we got to we got to stop using smartphones in movies. Put that stuff away. Put it on a TV and it makes sense. But why would you get a push notification that like specifically names name checks all the characters and stuff like that? It's like, <laughs> Uh, it's like so specific. Like this is like this newsflash is made specifically for this character in this situation, only. The effect that uh, I think that I couldn't even tell was effect, but it just looked so strange. Was the font on the tombstones? Oh yeah, I noticed mm. that too. Yeah. I was like, what and what is going on there? It's something like if that's really how it looks, then they they framed it and shot it strange, but. No, I would assume it's CGI. A, a fake tombstone probably cost a lot of money. It looked a little bit like somebody just typed the words across the screen. <laughs> maybe, maybe they just did it. They didn't even bother going to After Effects. Just yeah. did it right in the Premiere I mean, or whatever it is that it. Um, his son's tombstone to begin with looks like a Halloween tombstone. <laughs> I, I this is real Plan Nine from Outer Space stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah, straight it, out of Ed Wood. <laughs> <laughs> Like I, I haven't you ever heard of suspension of disbelief? Yeah, Brenton. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I, I genuinely like. I didn't even laugh. I just went oh, when I saw that. It just felt so cheap. I'm like, oh no, there's no way. You drive it, you know. Yeah. DMX is driving a Challenger, and you're, and there's a freaking like. So somebody rented a car at least, and you couldn't Maybe get a DMX brought his own car to set. <laughs> it's possible too. It's a favorite detail of mine too. Is DMX plays a cop who has Exodus tattooed right across his neck. Yeah, right across his throat. I was like, I don't know. Are there no police guidelines for uh, having you know, like tattoos in your face? <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, I guess he's uh, like an ex-con cop, or maybe he's undercover. <laughs> who knows? Like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. Oh, they definitely don't care enough no. to uh but it's like they could have just had him close one more button on his shirt but he's like his shirt is halfway open i did think uh speaking of patrick kilpatrick when johnny mesner shows up to that club and he looks like the least trustworthy person i've ever seen like he looks like a crackhead or something he walks up to patrick kilpatrick and he holds up a badge I've been like, what yeah. other ID do you have? Because you didn't <laughs> like. He just comes in dressed in like um the um like like uh, just 
he just comes in. Yeah, he does look like a meth head or something like that. Yeah, yeah. he he looks messed yeah. up, and his hat is all frayed. And I went, just I'm like, you would let that guy in? He's like, yeah, I'll just bring you right to the guy you're, like, not pat you down or anything. I'll bring you right to the guy you asked for. No, no, he <laughs> he really does have like the Tom Sizemore like coke bloat. Yeah. Look to him. He doesn't doesn't look good. Maybe you could have cast cast just. I think if you you if you replace him with just someone who looks slightly more engaged, maybe you can. Maybe it would have worked. Do they not I'm do not... makeup anymore in movies? Because he just looks terrible there. <laughs> Unless they're like trying to make him look like that, and I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's also the thing with, with Seagal in this one, because a lot of like Seagal later films, he's wearing scarves and stuff, and a lot of tactical gear. But in this one, like there's a scene where he just sits down, smokes a cigarette, and like you can see his neck. And Steven Seagal has like really old man neck. Like you can you can dye your your face donut and your your color in your triangle hairpiece and pretend you're not balding and pretend you're not actually seventy years old man, but that neck, that is the neck of a 70-year-old man. <laughs> well, I guess 68 or whatever he would have been when this came out. Pushing 70. He, he's got real old man neck in this one. You can you can see it. He's sitting down there. It's like, nah. You're telling on yourself. Maybe that's why he's not made another movie. He had to go and get, like, uh, neck plastic surgery. <laughs> like that neck. I'm guessing that nobody is funding these anymore i mean even this one it was not steamroller productions so i don't even know you know what what who's who funded this one but it wasn't him yeah i think we'll 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 get into that sort of going in here because uh, in the next couple of episodes of this series when it comes back because basically in 2016 that's he does his last movie with keone waxman and after that, he only does four more movies, and they're all kind of like a bit weird, like oh, uh, where where the money coming from? Sort of like first, there's just China Salesman, which obviously Chinese blockbuster, where they've paid him for a cameo. And there's this one, Attrition, which he was gonna direct originally, and it's shot out in Thailand. And I guess there's some funding from there. And General Commander's kind of similar; it's shot out in Asia. And it was supposed to be a TV show originally, and that's what it was funded like. But then they just ended up cutting, making t- only shooting two episodes, cutting them together. Uh, again, covering this one on the next episode, um, and then and that's what where that came from. And then this is the last one where it was like, uh, where are the money? It, it, which isn't sort of it's not coming in the same circle with the other ones. Where you sort of understand, like, okay, well, these this is the same company keeps bankrolling this, and I'm guess they're they're doing pre-sales sudden bumfuck Egypt or whatever that's uh, keeping these things afloat. But this is the last one, and uh, I'm assuming somewhere the the mark has just dropped out. It's like the bottom just fell yeah. right out of these things, and we might not even see them anymore. Like they're well, they're, we're still. Getting the like Mel Gibson, I guess is really the only one still, really old school action hero still trucking these out regularly. Now that Bruce Willis is, uh, well, he's, he's done. They can't abuse Bruce Willis anymore. <laughs> and uh, then really, uh, well, John Travolta is the other one. He keeps he keeps doing the, all these weird 
DTV movies under the radar. So it's uh, John Travolta and Mel Gibson are the ones uh, keeping this this afloat, I guess. Yeah. Is Van Damme done now too? Then or? Well, Van Damme has his his next his movie that's coming out is from the director. This guy, the oh, one yeah. it's that's called. Oh yeah, we talked about this. Uh, Darkness of Man is the one. That's the one he's supposed to be having coming out now. Uh, which did screen apparently at festivals this year, but nobody's picked up the distribution. So I don't know when that one's coming. And um, yeah, what else? Uh, what what else? Seagal. No, not Seagal. Van Damme has up his sleeve. Because I know he had a movie in pre-production with um, Anthony Hickox. But Anthony Hickox passed away like last month. So obviously not that project is uh, in limbo then too. Just waiting for Full Love to come out still, I guess. Yeah. Well, that one. What's that? 15 years now? Yeah. <laughs> waiting for that one. He's not getting it. Van Damme's, what, 63 now? He's still fairly young compared to all his contemporaries, but he he seems to have slowed down extremely, too. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he just can't move anymore like he used to. And yeah, he's, 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 Van Damme's, like, practically blind, isn't he? He's really... His eyesight's completely gone. Yeah, he's gone the but, Christopher Lambert route. But yeah, he did um, that. Uh, well, he did his TV show, and uh, he did a Netflix movie, and that's still the last thing he did. That was two years ago. Uh, but he does have this movie though that's supposedly in the line. But I guess he, not really sure what his deal is. If he's just uh, not, there's not offers, or he's not willing to sell out to the same degree. Yeah. Or maybe there's just no demand for it anymore. Hard to say. I just know I guess, that Seagal ain't doing nothing now. No. Yeah. Just some stuff c- comes up every now and then, like the Atkins interview, and there was another one on YouTube. I don't remember the channel now, which was like uh, a day with Steven Seagal. So he's still out there, and you can still find like more recent uh, footage of Seagal, but he's not making movies. No. Too busy performing that Gino Fellatio on Putin or something. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. So maybe this is the last we'll ever see of Seagal unless some mad money man comes in and funds another Robert Rodriguez bringing him out. Those those last couple of projects if they are even real. And uh, or or someone just uh, creates someone else. Um cuz I do understand he did do this movie primarily like Beyond the Law is something he did because it required very little work from him. Yeah. But that said, uh, it's not sad like the Willis stuff. Um, and it's not, uh, it doesn't ever reach the highs of, say, you know, like this double feature didn't go like the big trail and the shootist with John Wayne. You know, it's not like that kind of thing. This was more like, I don't know, it just felt like a real petered out. Like there's yeah, nothing left. Made- this yeah really does feel like that feels like maybe also just this doesn't feel like it's like he thought this was be his final film or anything it's just like oh yeah i'll just do this this one uh, between all the other ones but then there maybe never there maybe there never is another one yeah maybe this is the end 
The law ends here. <laughs> We've gone way beyond the law. So anyways, uh, I would highly recommend Above the Law. Uh, I don't think that uh, it matters if you ever watch Beyond the Law. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way yeah. of summing things up. Yeah. Same, same. I would definitely recommend Above the Law, which I think even... I would even recommend it more. I think it rose in my stock. I watched rewatching it. Uh, I uh, didn't remember how good it was. Maybe we didn't know how good we had it when we watched it last time. Yeah. We hadn't. We didn't have Beyond the Law or whatever else. Steven Seagal's <laughs> most recent effort, even though, you know, it's been a slow decline over time. Which again, we'll get to over time. But yeah. Yeah. I'd recommend watching Be Above the Law maybe like twice because the plot gets kind of complicated and convoluted at times. So I'd recommend watching it, you know, once and give it some time and then watch it again. You'll probably enjoy it a bit more. That's what happened to me, at least. Watch it once. Yeah, I'd recommend watching Above the Law twice instead of watching Beyond the Law once. <laughs> <laughs> watch Above the Law for the action. S stay for the politics. Um never watch beyond the law for any reason <laughs> yeah unless in in i don't know say in 10 years seagal has passed then we know for sure it's his last movie then you can check it out as a curiosity but yeah. uh there's about 15 to 25 seagal movies probably even more he's made a lot of movies we're talking in the high 50s i think uh so watch there's probably like 25 seagal movies at least you can watch Instead, I see 53 movies, apparently. So, probably say, maybe, at least 30 of them, maybe better than Beyond the Law. Is that ambitious to claim? I don't think that's ambitious to claim. I think Beyond the Law is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, fair, well, fair. It, it, it doesn't have a lot of Seagal either, to be honest, and that's that's got to be the main selling point when you're watching a Seagal movie, is you want... The Seagal. Where's my Seagal? <laughs> but yeah, that's about it. So, yeah. If we made an overall Steven Seagal rating, ranking of all his movies, I guess for now we would keep Above the Law as number one and Beyond the Law last. Or <laughs> as number two, if you would want to be nice about it. Yeah. At this point, yeah, it's, uh, it's in second place, but it's a very distant yeah. second. Yeah, once we build our Steven Seagal power rankings. All right, and then I guess we'll be back with a double feature of... Uh, it's, it would be Hard to Kill. Hard to Kill and General Commander at some point. Looking forward to it. Yeah, looking forward mm. to it big time. <laughs> yeah. Hard to kill in general commander. Yeah. That's the when we return with this series. And uh in the meantime we can catch uh, normal episodes on the same feed. Yeah. Uh, visit the website, a lot dot com. Come to our Discord. Join the Discord. Uh join the Patreon. Uh we recently released a new episode there, I think, on uh commando adjacent cinema to pair with our uh, commando episode on the main feed and then uh, we'll be back with a 
Hall of Fame introduction next time, I believe. Um, see you guys then. Yeah, have a good day. Too. Bye. Bye. After that point, the CIA seemed to really change, and some of the guys that were coming into the Far East after that seemed very, very different to me. They were, I don't know if they were, you know, recruited at West Point or what, but uh, there's two different kinds of CIA agents, you know. I mean, actually, there are several different kinds, but one kind is the kind of person who, you know, you drop them into any country anywhere, and, and they'll be able to adapt and get along and, and survive. And uh, there's another kind, you know, who might be a West Point graduate and might be brilliant at, at, at certain things, but uh, you can drop him into Paris and he couldn't buy a banana. Don't say a motherfucking word to me. It puts me in a bad spot to be compared to Clint because, uh, you know, he's a legend in his own time and I'm sort of a, you know, pissant, you know, trying to come up the ladder here. That's part of the life, bitch.